there's no music if you have no body to play it with. So take care of your body first. You getting into the gym and you lifting weights and working on muscles is it's physical therapy for the benefit of your playing. The truth is nothing works like just taking care of the simple stuff. Diet, exercise and sleep. Take care of that and you'll be fine. Join us as two musicians and fitness coaches discuss strength, wellness and fitness in relation to musicians, artists and performance. Hi, and welcome to the Tuned and Strong podcast. I am your host, Angela McHouston of Music Strong. I'm going solo today. Jen's not feeling well, but she is Jen, Dr. Jen Cabas May of Tuned and Tone Performance, and she sends her regards. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, newly doctoral doctorate, doctorified, doctorified. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> Newly doctored uh, Katie Mess. Katie, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how you say it. I received my doctorate. It's like, yes, <laughs> I finished. <doctored. laughs> yeah. Finished my DMA. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about, about you and who you are and we'll go from there. Yeah. So um, I'm based in sunny and right now very sweaty Orlando, Florida. Um uh, I'm a Florida native, although I have traveled around a little bit for school, but um, I just finished my my doctoral musical arts and flute performance from the University of Florida. We were actually the very first class of DMA and performance at UF. They have other doctoral programs, but didn't have a DMA. But so one thing that was really unique about this program, and I think this is going to become a trend with a lot of DMA programs across the country, is that they're requiring a cognate. It's not unusual necessarily to do a cognate, but the requirement and how substantial this was, and especially that they really sort of preferred that you do something outside of music, but that can be supplemental to, um, is kind of unique to this program. And honestly, I think it makes it really strong. And um, their whole goal was to make or to graduate DMAs who would be more marketable in today's economy in the music industry. Because again, you're, I see all the, the, the reactions. I mean, it's so true, right? If you go, if you graduate, you know, from a college program, no matter how good you are, if all you can do is play the flute, good luck, right? So what are you so going to do yeah. So having, you know, multiple skills is, um, you know, there's obviously a balance, like you don't want to be a jack of all trades, master of none, but like having several irons in the fire that you can do really well is, is certainly beneficial. So all that to say, what I did for my cognate is applied physiology and kinesiology. And the intention was to look into injury prevention for performing artists. And of course, musicians is, you know, where my love lies and you know the primary community I anticipate working with. But um, yeah, so a lot of people were very surprised that I was, you know, a, a doctoral level music student and doing all these science classes. I would get the question a lot, like, do you have a science background? No, but now I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I learned a ton. And I mean, that program is very geared toward athletics. I mean, University of Florida Go Gators, big, uh, I know you're a, you're a <laughs> I'm doing the chop, the Florida State chop. Right, right. But, um, you know, it's it's a big athletic school. So a lot of people in that program were interested in working with athletes in some capacity. But I met a lot of people who were had kind of a surprising track through it like I did. Um, there was somebody who I think had an undergraduate in engineering and was interested in doing prosthetics for 
recovering athletes or, or, or wherever that would take her. So we had some interesting conversations and I was like, Hey, you should uh, do some cool stuff with musicians for, you know, uh, um, accessible instruments and things like that, like the Drellinger head joints and the the upright head joints, but anyway, yeah. So anyway, that's where I went. And, um, so that that program is not geared specifically toward musicians. And, and this is sort of, could I be the theme (laughs) of what I'm going to talk about a lot today is, uh, there's not enough of that. There's not enough of this sort of wellness, wellness and and, and physical education for performing artists. And um, like I can see in the background there for you in your office, the percentage of musicians who will be injured <laughs> is astoundingly high, considering how little we actually talk about it. So that's the gist of like what I learned through all of this is it's something I already had an inkling in, but it 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 we need to to educate our, our musicians a lot better about how their body works and how they can prevent pain. Um, but uh, how I ended up getting to this point, what made me pursue this was I was injured myself. Um, I dealt with, at the time, you know, when it first started, I didn't know what it was. It started, you know, an undergraduate, which I think is a pretty common thing that, you know, a lot of people might start feeling the first signs of, of any kind of injury or playing related pain in college, because that's when we start getting more serious as players and we start spending more time in the practice room, sometimes not understanding that, you know, suddenly going from like an hour a day to four hours a day, you know, might hurt your body. Um, but, uh, I was having pain, like shooting pains kind of across my rip, my, my palm and sometimes some, some aching in my, my wrists sort of around my thumb. I didn't know what it was. And, you know, my teachers would just sort of tell me to stretch and, oh, maybe you should go see a chiropractor. And it, it, it helped enough to kind of, you know, just rest a little bit if it was kind of bothering me for that week or to do a little bit of stretching. And I did go see the chiropractor a few times and that did, you know, help when they would adjust me a little bit if I had some tension in my spine and all that. But, you know, it, it wasn't, it was intermittent enough that it was kind of like, this is weird, but I don't, know what's going on. So it was a long journey and I had different teachers who would talk to me about adjusting, you know, well, maybe change your wrist position a little bit and all those things help, but the damage I think was already done. So by the time it actually became apparent that something was really wrong, it's cumulative. And that's how a lot of these things work, right? Overuse injuries. It's not like a one, one off thing, um, unless you happen to have, you know, a massive bike accident like you did. <laughs> um, but of course those things can kind of work in tandem. Cause you know, if you've had some kind of trauma before it can, can certainly, you know, exacerbate any overuse problems. But for most of us musicians, it's a, it's a cumulative long-term years and years of, of, of repetitive damage that we don't even realize we're doing. And that's exactly what happened to me. So when I was in my first master's degree in Colorado and I wasn't playing a lot because that degree was in music theory. So I wasn't studying flute. So when I was practicing, it was kind of sporadic and kind of intense for like intense verse. And it wasn't, I wasn't conditioned to it. I was also working at a fabric store where I was cutting a lot of thick, heavy fabrics (laughs) with the same hand that, you know, and I was also a uh, editorial assistant for an online theory journal. So I was on the computer, you know, all week as well. So it was sort of the perfect storm that exacerbated all the stuff that had started from playing related issues. And then everything else just sort of became too much, pushed it over the edge. And I started having um, pain in my forearm and, we said, oh, it's probably, I saw, like, I think I saw a, 
uh, rheumatologist at first because my mom has rheumatoid arthritis and I was around the age where do they, you know, some of the, so we were like, maybe that's what's going on. And let's just make sure that's not what's happening. He was pretty dismissive. So I don't think that's what it is. Maybe it's tendonitis. So he sent me to PT. Um, I'm honestly very glad he sent me to PT because that was really helpful at the time, but I didn't get a lot of answers about what was actually happening. So he sent me first to an occupational therapist and she was wonderful, but I learned at that point, you know, I knew nothing. It was just like, it hurts here when I play. And, um, so occupational therapy, now I know, understand that it is a lot more fine motor skills and it's usually like elbow down related stuff. And so she worked with me for a little bit and we did, definitely did determine that I had some strength deficit and, you know, my right hand versus my left. And so it's just like, yeah, you've definitely got something going on here. Um, and then one day I came in, I said, you know, my backpack was, is hurting. Like when I, I put my backpack on the other day and like, I could really kind of hurt in my shoulder. And so she had been doing some, uh, ultrasound therapy around my elbow. And she said, well, you know, this really isn't my area, but I can do a little bit on your shoulder and see if that helps. And so she did the, the ultrasound on my shoulder right about here. And I said, okay, this is really strange. This doesn't really hurt, but I feel like I should tell you that I am feeling that all the way into my pinky. And she said, okay, we need to stop. And I need to send you somebody because if you, you shouldn't be feeling something down in your hand um, uh, from your shoulder if that's not where the problem is, basically. And so I ended up getting transferred to a PT who was more specialized in the upper body. And um, we started working with my neck and getting my, my shoulder. And, and that, that PT threw around thoracic outlet syndrome which of course at the time I had no clue what that meant. Now I do. And now I think that's probably what it was um, and what I still deal with from time to time. Uh, but it's, it was really quite a journey because that was like, well, almost 10 years ago that that happened, that I was with this PT. And um, that was very much focused on just like keeping the pain under control and not really fixing a whole lot at that point. And I think that was, you know, I don't think that that was anything against that particular therapist, but she definitely didn't know anything about musicians, but she was open to letting me bring my flute in. And we kind of looked at some of that. So I was appreciative of that, but you know, she did her best and I, I was in, you know, fairly acute pain at that point. So that, that pain management, just getting it to subside mm -hmm. was sort of the goal. And of course I was a very broke graduate student, so I couldn't maintain PT for longer than a few months. Um, but, uh, when I got a new instrument several years later and it was heavier, <laughs> it came back <laughs> and, um, I had, you know, knew a little better what was going on at that point. So I got into physical therapy again and, and, and it's been interesting. This is, I've been in th physical therapy three times for the same sort of pain. Well, actually the second time had to do with headaches and I wasn't sure, you know, I saw a neurologist initially for that, but, but determined it was probably tension headaches. And now I know that that's definitely what it was <laughs> and it's all related, um, to what was going on with my neck and shoulder, the tension there. And, and, um, so while I went to this PT initially, because I was having headaches, we ended up treating for the pain that would happen along my arm as well, because again, it's, it's all related. It's all related. And, um, that was a little bit more of some, some stretching and strengthening involved. He would do some manipulation and, and a little bit of, you know, massage and such. Um, but I got to see him quite a bit for, for a, a lot longer than I did the initial round of physical therapy. And 
that was right before I was going into UF and knowing that I needed to figure out a cognate, I got really interested in, in, in hearing about and learning about what was happening and how I was being treated so that I could, number one, help myself <laughs> and to, to keep that from happening and learn to manage it, but then also prevent my students and my coworkers from having to go through this because I had um, some students at the time that like playing alto flute with a straight head, for example, started to really bother their wrists. I can't play an alto flute with a straight head. It has to be curved. And I've just learned that now and I will not play a straight head alto anymore. So um, I'm trying not to, to, to yammer on and on about this, but this is what, this has been the journey is it, 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 started because of my own experience with having to go through just the rounds and rounds of medical professionals and seeing different people and being referred to different people and trying to figure out what was going on. And um, so I was being with that PT for a while, got a little bit better, you know, was, was okay enough to manage, you know, and, and, and learned a lot from, you know, how to manage it. So, you know, it still flares up every now and then, because what I haven't said so far, as I said, thoracic outlet, but I've also had some, a lot of ulnar nerve um, pain. And so when I said that, like, I could feel it <laughs> all the way down in my pinky, it's like, I can feel I, when it was really bad, it would throb all the way from, you know, where the nerve emerges from the neck through my collarbone, down the back of my arm, through my elbow and into my pinky. And I was actually getting numbness and tingling in my uh, pinky and the side of my ring finger, which is the ulnar nerve. <laughs> and I can relate. <laughs> yes, I know you can. And, um, uh, yeah, it was really uncomfortable <laughs> when it was at its, at its worst. You know, I would, I tell people that it felt like I had hit my funny bone really hard all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, so learning to manage that because the nerve will get irritated every now and then I've learned that like, because nerves are very slow to heal and to, to recover from things. So I have just learned to accept that, that like, take it easy. And if it does decide to be a little angry, you know, I need to do my, you know, my management routine and everything like that. So I've learned, but it's, it's also, you know, it's been a process. It doesn't just poof, go away. Um, but so I found that learning more about it has really helped me understand what's happening a lot better. And, um, that's why I decided I really wanted to get into, to learn more about this and APK of applied physiology and kinesiology was the best program or successful program for me to learn what I wanted to learn at UF, because unfortunately, a lot of schools don't have specific tracks, if they even have a class that has to do with the physical aspect of musicians health and wellness. And so I did get a lot of, you know, sport and exercise and athletics, you know, related science stuff. But kind of where I would go with all this is that it, it is there is overlap all that information is still applicable to performing artists. We may be using a different type of, of, of skill set and different, um, you know, maybe more fine motor skills than gross motor skills. And we might be using different sets of muscles and things like that. But at the same time, we do it typically for much, much greater periods of our life than most professional athletes would. So approaching the way that we practice and teach and perform from a fitness perspective um, has really changed the way I look at so much of what I do and so much of the way that I teach and talk to other people, even, and not just related to music, like even in daily life, like how I carry myself and how I do housework, you know, if I'm like bending over sweeping or something, I think about not, you know, it's like my, my back starts to hurt. Well, I'm not moving, bending from my hip. I'm bending from my spine, you know, my lower back. And so no wonder, 
So yeah, I will take a breath there and let you interject or ask any clarifying questions because I have chatted for a little bit there. That's perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping for. I mean, that's, I'm lots of, lots of things that have come up when, with what you were talking about, you hit on some things that we've had several other guests say several, several, I mean, Kelly Wilson was on a little while ago and she said the same thing that, that you did. And I mean, like we've had several other guests just talk about the importance of basically that musicians are athletes. And how you just said that there's so much crossover between what you learned basically in the sports world with anatomy and physiology and kinesiology and And exercise physiology and yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so how much crossover there is and like, you know, we, we toss around this phrase, musicians are athletes and we don't really believe it because we don't think we're, we're not running. We're not throwing a ball. We're not jumping, but I mean, what is an athlete? Yeah, exactly. And I think it, that exactly what you're, what you're saying that we have to redefine what we mean when we say athlete or people and, and the like, community as a whole has to sort of understand a slightly different definition of what an athlete is. It's not sports <laughs> because even within sports, there's, cause like I, we talked about just before we started this, that I'm, I'm about to uh, take my exam for the, the certified strength and conditioning specialist to the, the national strength and conditioning association. And, you know, I was doing preparatory courses and, and, and seminars and things with them and the variety of people who come and take that certification, the, the sport that they're interested in and working with would surprise you. I mean, the class, one of the seminars that I took, there was a guy who was interested in working with rodeo athletes. <laughs> Um, and the person teaching the class was really excited about that because she's like in horse show jumping and, and, and rodeo and stuff. So not what you would expect, but if you think about that, you know, just think about bull riding, <laughs> the core that you need for that. You know what I mean? Gotta so have some it, strength. Absolutely. So there's the idea of what an athlete is, is not, you know, limited to like what mainstream media talks about as sport and athlete. Like it's not just football players and basketball players and hockey players. It's them for sure, but it's so much more. So, I mean, I, I, this is just totally pulled it out of my head, but like, if I were to talk about like what an athlete means to me, especially when I talk about the most inclusive section, it's just somebody who does a, has a physical skill and they perform it at like the elite level. Um, uh, and there maybe professionally, if you, if you want to throw that in there, but if you, if you, they're looking to train <laughs> to perform at their most optimal. And that is exactly what musicians and performing artists do. Um, and like we just said, they do it for just as much, they practice just as much if maybe not even more than some more gross motor skill sports do. And often for much longer periods of their life, greater proportions of their life. And so the, the, while we may not be in as great a risk from our activity for macro trauma situations, we are certainly way, way more at risk for micro trauma or an overuse or repetitive use injury. Um, and your statistic behind you says 90% and some of the research that I've done for my dissertation you know, it depends on the study that you find, but the, the, the numbers yeah. that I found were anywhere from like 49 to 95%. Mm-hmm. And it depends on the, you know, how they conducted the study and, and the population that they're looking at and everything. But even if you take the lowest number there, 50%, 100%. your chances of one in two, <laughs> like you're sitting in the orchestra, if it's not the person beside you, it might be you. <laughs> like right? that's still astounding that we don't 
teach people how to take care of their body or even just understand their body more. Like the lack of understanding just a basic anatomy <laughs> is really, really astounding because through, you know, when I start talking about this and when I start presenting on my research and things and having to do my defense, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to, you know, a room full of PhDs when I was making my defense. And I said, I had to kind of, I had to say like, some of this stuff seems kind of obvious. So certainly to me, like once I learned about it, it's like, that seems kind of obvious, you know, now that you say it, but we just, we don't say it, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that's one thing I've learned is, is that the, amount of information is never too small, basically, or never too basic, because there's always somebody who's going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And on one hand, that's exciting that there's plenty to be able to share with people and plenty to be able to help people. But on the other hand, that's also kind of depressing, because it's like, we really should know more than this. Um, So uh, yeah, we're athletes, I 100% believe that slightly different per picture of what an athlete is to most people, but we, I think by, by most definitions, we, we should be considered that. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's kind of funny back when I was in college, um, I got my bachelor's from like 99 to 03. So forever ago. And I remember when I, when I first got my course load, it said I had to take a science. And so I was like, well, what science do I want to take? And like, well, we signed you up for geometry or geology. I'm like, I could care less about rocks. What do rocks have to do with flute? Well, you have to have this core. No, you don't. That's why you went to high school. This is a big pet peeve of mine. No, you don't. Why are we taking all these things that you should have had in high school? Like we had to pick a science. I'm like, well, it's not going to be rock study. Uh, No, thanks. Um, Nothing wrong with geology, but it's like, there was no interest. And you know, why bother? So, well, I guess I'll take, it's either chemistry or biology. That's it. And so I asked, I asked the school, I'm like, can I take anatomy that that I'm really interested in that? And Mm -hmm. they said, no, that's for nurses only. I'm like, says who? I mean, I, why? And they just went for everybody. Yeah. Everybody should have some like basics. And of course, you know, the year after I finally take a science class, I find out there is a physics, acoustical physics of music class that was offered. It wasn't offered when I needed it. And I'm like, that would have been applicable. (laughs) That was my story exactly because we had the same course. You had same thing. You had to have a a, a physical science, uh, science. class and yeah. for a gen ed, and I had wanted to take physics of music, but it wasn't offered the semester that I had waited that's, to take it because I had always told. See, that's the other thing about science that is a little bit of a pet peeve to me with anything. I because I, I guess, and I have a master's degree in music theory, and a lot of people will go like, "Oh my god, are you crazy?" Um, like, yeah, I like it. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. But um, so much about music theory, like when I would tutor that is, is saying you, this is describing things that you observe. You, you do understand what we're talking about. You have seen what we're talking about. You have heard what we're talking about. So much of understanding it is understanding the terminology that we're using to talk about it. That's, I think, what intimidates a lot of people about it. I think it's the same thing with a lot of science classes. And so that really frustrates me because the attitude that I hear from a lot of musicians when I start trying to talk to them about what do you know about injury prevention? What would you like to know? What do you think we need more of is very much this idea of like, Oh yeah, I'm all for that. But that's, that's, out, that's beyond me. That's out of my wheelhouse. And it's mm. like, it's really not though. It's not. If you have, you know, it, it, the, the, the language can be a limiting factor, but if you have somebody who knows what they're doing <laughs> and can talk to you, 
like a person and not down to you, you know, and can explain it in ways that is, you know, how we would use it day to day. Um, it's not something that is beyond most anybody. It's, it's really stuff that, that you can wrap your head around. And, um, but that I bring that up because physics for me was something that I'd heard so many people say like, Oh, it's so, it's, it's so hard. It's scary. And so I was like, Oh, I'm that's, you know, I don't want to take that. So I waited till the last semester to take it. And so the only thing I can take was intro to lasers and light. <laughs> and honestly, it was a cool class. Like, honestly, it was a cool class. Cause it, we also talked about like the way your eye works, like the lens of the eye. Cause it was lasers as a lot of do with lenses, but, um, I was so mad. <laughs> I had waited because I loved the class and I did fine in it. So I was like, I should have taken that physics of music class. So it's the same thing. And it was all about, but cool story. Now that I teach at Rollins where I went to undergrad, I've made um, a little bit of a relationship with one of the physics professors, or actually he's like the main, like, I think he's the chair of the department, um, uh, was doing research on aerosols coded with wind and singers and so that's he's the one who teaches that class because he has a particular interest in music he's a musician himself he's a trumpet player Perfect. and um so i got to participate in that study and talk to him a little bit about some of that stuff so that was you know things you know what goes around comes around and all that good stuff but anyway yeah so just kind of feeding off of i'm glad you brought that up that or that we, we we brought this up because that's a huge thing to me too that i try to and, and part of what my dissertation project was about was sort of saying we need more education it's not beyond people it's not beyond music music educators to know a little bit more about the physical aspect of what we teach um because speaking of this attitude that like we're not really athletes i think a lot of that too comes from this idea that like athletes are super physical and we're artists we're very, you know, creative and cerebral. And that's not untrue, but there is at the core of what we do, a very physical component. And so it doesn't make sense to me why we wouldn't be responsible for understanding what the physical ramifications are of what we do and what we teach to our students. Because the number of teachers that I have met who like, I bring something up like that and they're like, I don't know, go see a doctor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, which one? Right. It's like, great, not bad advice. And it's nice. It's great that you acknowledge that you don't have the knowledge to help somebody. That's, that's always great. But yeah, at the same time, not super helpful because yes, there's, there's that, that's another thing that I kind of shocked me a little bit about how little most people understand about the specifics of what different disciplines of medical provider do. And I learned a lot about this. There's a lot I didn't know. And I grew up like pseudo uh, medical background with my family. My mom, neither one of my parents were physicians, but my mom was a lab tech and my dad works in um, nursing home care and was around a lot of doctors and things like that. So I, I felt like I grew up with like a kind of baseline of a lot of just sort of medical and about your body understanding that I'm finding as I get older, a lot of people don't have. And again, kind of unfortunate. <laughs> Because it would save so many people so much just stress and pain. And, you know, if you knew a little bit more about how to take care of yourself. So absolutely. You know, it's funny that you brought this up literally yesterday. I had somebody message me on Instagram and say, hey, I'm sending my student to talk to you because you do consults. Right. And I'm like, well, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I can't help you, I want to send you to somebody who can. Right. Not just say, well, I can't help you. Right. Right. And she said, I just know enough to know that I don't know what to tell them, but I wish I did. I'm like, yes, exactly. And you know, when you bring up that point of the terminology, I remember when I was studying for my, um, 
my CPT, um, which I have They're my tests. The, huh? They're big tests. <laughs> they are big tests, you know, and that's minus through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And quite honestly, the CPT was hard. Um, I talked to my brother the entire drive. I had to travel two hours from Panama City to Tallahassee to take wow. the test. And it was at like an airfield. It was at a really weird location. Yeah, it was yeah. odd. And there was me and like four other people. I think it's like it had to be a certain software or something. I, uh, I don't know. This was yeah. back in like, oh, state, yeah. like forever ago when I first got started. And I talked to my brother the entire way. I'm like, bro, I don't think I'm going to make it. I can't. And then I just, he didn't even ask me any questions. He literally sat on the phone with me for two hours and I just spewed knowledge at him. And I got to the end and went, I'm going to fail. He goes, you just. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Two hours I went. Okay. Yeah. I still barely passed. Seriously. I barely, it was so hard. Right. Yeah. It's so much science. It is a lot of. So much. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the, the, no, it's great. Dentist, yeah. the dentist who graduates at the bottom of the class is still a dentist. Still a dentist. Yeah. I mean, because it's just the knowledge at the very beginning that you had to learn to be able to go out in the world and know some of what you're doing instead of having no clue. Right. They, the way that the CSCS have talked about it too, they say the CSCS is an entry level certification. Mm-hmm. It yep. is not it is. the thing that you earn after years and years of practice. It's the thing that Correct. you earn to get your experience in practice. Yes. And so just passing something like that doesn't mean, doesn't, isn't indicative of how good or not good of a, of a practitioner you are, mm-hmm. of a coach you are, but it, 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 they very much tried to make that clear that like so yeah. much of what we do is learned in the field, like, you know, on the job. And I feel like that's true of so many professions too. Like we don't, just because you go to school doesn't mean you're going to graduate being like, all right, ready to do this thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, very rarely is that the case, you know, but, um, but yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of information, but it also says something that it, there's so much information and it's as hard as it is. And so to pass it period, even if it's not like flying colors, means you have a certain base of information that's formidable. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And right after I did that, and then I started getting my first clients and I realized immediately how much I thought, you know, you have that imposter syndrome. Absolutely. You know? Oh my gosh. You and I so have talked about that. I've, text, yeah, I've texted you being like, I don't know, it's intimidating. You're like, you'll be fine. <laughs> yes, you do. You're so, really yeah. <laughs> you know, because it just takes practice to kind of get in your groove and be like, oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. Oh, mm-hmm. and then you start seeing patterns, these things. But going back to when I was first learning it, I was so, I love, I absolutely love anatomy. I just think mm-hmm. it's fascinating. And the kinesiology of how the body works together. And it just, you know, these light bulbs just kept going off my brain about, oh, so this is how the shoulders related to the neck, which is related to the serratus of the GBA yeah. and the, 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 the psoas, you yeah. know? And I feel like, like musicians just love to throw around three terms, the psoas, the diaphragm and duck. And the carpal tunnel, which yes, is, and you have carpal or, tunnel, you have a tendonitis, tendonitis, <laughs> tendonitis. <laughs> yeah. It's like the body parts. Everything, everything is tendonitis. Everything is tendonitis. Everything is tendonitis. Yeah. yeah. Um, even carpal tunnel is tendonitis. Like they don't really understand <laughs> what that means. <laughs> and that, that just goes through. So I, I definitely have spent a lot of time explaining that kind of thing to people too. I'm like, um, it could be any number of things. Like tendonitis yep. is not the only over overuse injury that you could have. And, um, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, and it, yeah, absolutely. But that just highlights <laughs> how little we, we educate. And, um, so, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I mean, I feel like everybody I've mentioned this to agrees that like, we should be teaching this stuff as soon as somebody picks up an instrument, like oh, from 100%. young, because 
on one hand, this is what was tricky is because like for my degree and my project, you know, the, the scope of these things can easily get out of hand. I mean, especially because this is still kind of an emerging specialty in, yep. in within music and fitness and wellness and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There is research out there, but a lot of it, what I have found is mostly saying this is the problem and not so much. Here's how we fix it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And um, so there's so much research still to be done out there yeah. that a project like this can very easily become so huge in scope. And so, you know, for the sake of graduating, you have to kind of, you know, find a niche or find a, you know, one area to focus in on to do. So um, I had to focus on collegiate players because that's the, the group that I'm interested in teaching and all this kind of stuff, even though I want to work with all levels of, of, of players from, you know, the get-go to people who have been playing for decades professionally and, and, mm. and are experiencing pain and have chronic pain and stuff like that. You know, I, I had to focus in on, on one group. And to be fair, like I said earlier, you know, I think collegiate musicians is where you tend to see the beginnings of things because that's when they start taking, you know, they start really amping up their playing and the intensity of their playing. Um, and so that's where, but the problem <laughs> is, not just the intensity of it, but it's bad habits that were never corrected to that point that are now becoming cumulative and exacerbated because of the intensity of playing. It's not just that like suddenly I started playing more and I'm hurting. It's also that like you've been playing like this, you know, with your wrist hyperextended, you know, for a 10 years and now you're really straining it and now you're feeling it. Mm -hmm. um, and so in order to really truly prevent things, it needs to start a lot earlier so right. one of the questions that I posed in my defense was like, can you imagine what it would look like if we had a battery of assessments, even just a couple of them, a really simple few that we started as an intake screen for any new students to, as a, to establish a baseline of like, if we know that this is what good flute, I'm speaking from flute players just because this is what my project was on and what I'm at, but good flute playing or good violin playing or good guitar playing, or good timpani playing or whatever, this is what this looks like. And this is what we um, need to be able to do physically to perform optimally. And then we are able to assess whether someone coming in as a baseline is or is not meeting that, mm -hmm. that we can head off any potential problems. Um, not to say that we're going to 100% be successful in preventing anything because stuff happens and, you know, we're human and we're not perfect, but like, and things develop and things change, but like already that would be a start toward catching postural things that someone's doing or technique things that someone's doing that could cause them uh, overuse or repetitive use injury in the future. Um, if we can nip that in the bud, you know, then the thing we have to deal with is, okay, how do you periodize your training or your practice mm -hmm. as a musician so that you don't, you know, overtrain basically and, and, and cause an overuse injury from that reason, for that reason. We just talked about this. If you guys have not listened to the episodes with Danielle Kuntz, who's our, the harp player, uh, we just talked about this, like, why don't musicians have structured deload weeks like you have in training? So when you say periodized progressive training, that means you're, you are, you are taking a certain set of exercises or a certain set of training and you are gradually amping that up. And then you have quote, a structured deload where you ramp it back. You do the opposite and rest. You, it's, it's a rest, rest. period. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you cycle through that. Well, why don't we do that uh, intentionally? Yeah. As well, and 
the other thing about that and with periodization that I found really interesting, and it's something that I want to um, maybe write some more about or present some more about, um, maybe with you, um, <laughs> is the idea too, not just that like we, we we work in cycles like you would with a normal fitness, but that also like if you think about it from a sport performance perspective, like where this is, I think where like we've, we've talked a little bit in the past, like where the CPT from a CSCS is a little different, right. is that like a CSCS, we also, I, I'm sure you do this with CPT, but I know CPT is more interested in personal fitness, like individualized. And when we're mm-hmm. talking about like sports teams, right. They periodize to peak at the right place in the sports season, in the season. Right. Exactly. And so if you think, if you approach, if you apply that to musicians, I've had a teacher talk about this teachers that are really good teachers talk about this. Like you don't need to be playing this at 144 at the mark tempo a month before you need to be ready to perform because you're going to plateau and you're going to burn out on that piece. So you don't want to be peaking on a piece of music too soon before the performance. Yep. So planning your practice, same concept would go for hurting yourself for, for physically, like you don't want to overtire any of these muscles or these, these joints that are involved in whatever instrument you're playing before you're ready to perform. And so thinking about planning your training, periodizing, you know, periodic uh, incre- uh, increasing in increments of, of your training as a, like, if we think about our practice sessions as training sessions, because that's essentially what they are. They absolutely is exactly what they are. Um, if you think about it like that, then planning it such that you are ramping up your practice so that you're peaking in time for a performance that would help prevent, you know, these college student syndrome of like coming back from summer where it's like, I've been doing nothing all summer and suddenly I'm practicing three hours a day and no wonder I'm hurting or right? coming back from COVID doing nothing. And now exactly. you have to go on tour. What? <laughs> exactly. All of that kind of thing. And not like cold Turkey suddenly ramping up your practice that like, you know, that you have this much time before you have this big performance um, and or series of performances or whatever. And you have all this time or X amount of time beforehand to get in there. How do I ramp this up so that I am mm-hmm. conditioned to do that comfortably? And, uh, you know, and, and all of this to me, you know, cause one of the questions that has come up a lot, you know, all through my studies and through um, discussions with my, my project and stuff was like, okay, well, how do we, cre- it's all good information, but how do we create buy-in? How do we get people to, to do actually use this information and do it. And one of the things that I feel like it's, it's kind of simple, but like injury prevention (laughs) is performance enhancement, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And so if you frame it also, not just as like, well, it's something I have to do because I want to prevent, I don't want to get hurt because a lot of people have this attitude of like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'm not hurting now. So whatever I'm doing must be fine. It's like, it is until it isn't right. Mm. Um, so everything works until it doesn't and right, then what do exactly. you do when it doesn't. And then exactly. th- are you just going to stop your career? I mean, too many do, but it doesn't have to be that way. Exactly. So if you look at it instead as like, yes, I'm doing fine right now, but could I be doing better? And so, you know, if you think of it more in terms of this is performance enhancement. So I'm looking at every aspect of, of the way that I'm playing and practicing, not just musically, like, how do I sound, but like, how do I feel when I'm doing this? Mm-hmm. You are also enhancing your performance or making, you know, by, by delaying any kind of, you know, unnecessary damage to your body, mm-hmm. you are enhancing your ability to perform optimally <laughs> for longer. So uh, to me, that's a kind of a no brainer that those things go, go hand in hand, that if you frame this kind of stuff as performance enhancement or performance improvement, 
as it gives you an edge as opposed to like, you know, you're trying to, uh, then it can become also something that becomes uh, an expected part of your practice and training and, and instruction, as opposed to something else that we have to add, find time it's to just do. Part of it. Yeah. yeah, it's just part of it. And again, going back to the education aspect of it, I think that that attitude starts from the get go, that if we start training our younger musicians, you know, that way that like this learning to stretch, learning to think about the way that you carry yourself, learning to not just you know, learning to, to, to ramp up your practice gradually, as opposed to just, you know, start only practice cram practice when you need it kind of thing. Uh, Cause we all know that doesn't work, even though we're all guilty of doing it every now and then. <laughs> but, like, yeah. um, but you uh, know, like, I think it also, um, there's an, also another aspect of, of that s- s- training the younger musicians. I think it starts with body awareness. If you're not sure of the terminology of all the anatomical parts of the body that you need to know, that's fine. But you can start developing a really good body awareness in your younger students. I mean, my professor at Florida State would tell me all the time, do you feel your feet? Right. I mean, we think about it. We're we're in our headspace so much. We're thinking about our fingers and our embouchure and our emotions and blah, blah, blah. What about the space behind your elbow? What about the spot underneath your ear? Pick a weird right. spot. What about the inside of your right big toe? Do you feel any of that while you're playing? You should. Yeah. Because you're not just a head and fingers and an embouchure and, or, you yeah. know, and guitar strings, whatever. You are an entire musician. You use your entire body to play that instrument. So as with younger kids, I think like even just starting them out with, hey, how does that feel when you play this? How do, wiggle your right. so-and-so or, you know, right. yeah. kids love to move. Yes, absolutely. And I find that with like talking about posture too, something I've started trying to do with them more is one thing I noticed that can be a challenge with it. And also why I will not start kids younger than like nine on flute, because they just don't have the proprioceptive body awareness, you know, the, mm-hmm. their concept of their, you know, their body in space and, and also some kind of, and no, where I'm getting at, it's like, they have very little notion a lot of times of how their body can work together and also separately (laughs) because for example, you know, you get, I tell them, you know, they're like this and I'm like, okay, we need to raise, you know, your flute, your, your tilting. You see how much you look in the mirror, see how much you're tilting your neck. Okay. So I, I kind of will put my hand here on the bottom and I'll lift it up and they get this. And they move their entire (laughs) body to the the entire body goes to the side as opposed to just, you know, so then I spend time with them, you know, kind of like, okay, is it all right if I touch you? And can I, can I give me the weight of your elbow? And can you see that like I'm moving this and you, the rest of you doesn't have to move. Like this is a separate joint and everything, but yeah, absolutely. Like we don't have to talk about like, like specific terminology for sure. Like, cause that's another thing I definitely have heard people. It's like, Oh, that's too much for kids. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> they can totally understand that. And, and I, I agree with the body awareness thing. And that's something that like body mapping, I thought was really mm-hmm. awesome the way that they talked about that because like, they would say exactly that. They would ask you like, okay, just, just, just have an exercise here. Just sit with your eyes closed. You know, are you, can you feel like, can you, can you, can you be conscious of the space that's right directly behind you, beneath you, above you, right in front of you? Can you, can you feel how you occupy the space that you're in right now and how you exist within this? And it it really, I'm sure it probably hits people a little differently, but like individually, but, but you know, being challenged to sort of think about it that way is is revolutionary but i feel like it's the same kind of concept if when you start understanding that like one that always blew my mind and i love to talk about because it blows a lot of people's minds because this is another one of those examples of this is like kind of obvious when you think about it but we don't think about it 
is that muscles can only pull. They don't push. So when you think about how something works on a joint, right? Like if you're doing a bicep curl, <laughs> when you release that weight, your bicep is not pushing it <laughs> down, <laughs> right? It's, you know, or, or vice versa. Like, so this idea of like synergy with around a joint and, and how those things work like that totally to me changes the way I think about how I move and how I use, you know, even just posture. So that kind of stuff, just, just, just that body awareness for sure is, um, is huge. And since you brought it up with body mapping, well, I brought up body mapping, but you brought up the concept <laughs> of it. Um, I also think it's, it, you know, it's, it's like, it takes a tribe, right. It takes a village that there's no one specific discipline or modality that's going to fix it all. And so I love to talk about this idea of continuum of care and not mm-hmm. a, um, a, of course, you know, a fitness professional, a medical professional can all, all play a role in that and certainly should. Um, and everybody has their own scope of practice that they work within, but guess who should be included in that? That often is not <laughs> the applied instructors. Yeah. Um, so the music teachers, the edu- music educators, like are part of that continuum of care. You, you are often like the first point of contact for anything that's happening. And so the more that you can know, even if it is to say something's going on with you, I don't have the knowledge to help you with it, but I do know this is not within my scope of practice to help you with. And you need to to do something else because I don't want to get hurt. Even starting to say that kind of thing and developing a network of people Mm -hmm. or a continuum. um, I wish there were more of that. And I do see it happening a little bit. Um, cause I'm a member of, um, PAMA, uh, performing mm. arts medicine association and, you know, everybody that's in there is interested in the same kinds of things, but, um, like, uh, Johns Hopkins Peabody has a clinic, um, university of Rochester Eastman has a clinic, um, uh, North Texas mm-hmm. has a degree in it now has a PhD in performing arts um, medicine, which is awesome. Um, oh, actually but, yeah. side note, uh, any flutists that are in this area, David Brown from UNT is going to be coming to NFA to the pre- to the uh, the NFA convention. He's going to be he's actually on one of the panel discussions for uh, the Performance Health Committee. And if I haven't said it before, <laughs> Katie is part of the Performance Health Committee for the NFA, and we, it's part of this series we're doing with you know conversations with the committee. And one of the presentations that was uh, that that we submitted includes him and several other people that are also in the pedagogy committee. And it's called, I don't want to say all of it, but it's a very long title, yeah. but it's basically deconstructing the use of anatomical terms in teaching. So like breathe from the belly and use the diaphragm. Right. Like, right. I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about what this really means. So he's right. actually going to be there. So if you're going to be in the uh, Chicago area, come to the NFA convention and meet him. That's awesome. Yes. That's exactly what we need is more of this. Cause like that, when I, I would talk to people who are somewhat more in, in, entrenched in sort of the, you know, performance health kind of situation, what they would say is exactly what I'm saying. It's like, I do think we need more education. Um, we need, need more resources that way somehow to get it across. Cause like everybody agrees that we want this information, that this is good, that we should be able to have injury prevention or not people who know what to do with that. But like, nobody can give you a good, you know, idea of like where to go get that information <laughs> per se. Yeah. Um, and if they do a lot of times, like it's either go see a doctor, like we said before, just like blanket a doctor or go see a body mapping expert or Alexander technique or Feldenkrais or whatever. And I, I have worked with people, both our body mapping and Alexander and people who have 
I haven't worked with a Feldenkrais specialist, but I know people who have, and mm -hmm. they're wonderful. And a mm -hmm. really good body mapping or AC teacher are like worth their weight in gold. They're fantastic. But for me personally, with the issues that I was having, I found that it was really good at pointing out where I was having problems, but it didn't really fix it. And so for me, the fitness side of it and the PT side of it, physical therapy side of it was really the thing that pushed it over to the edge where it was like, I actually feel like this is doing something for me and something that I can latch onto. And maybe that's not true for everybody. Maybe something for some people like body mapping is, is going to give you a lot. But I, I believe for most people, it's going to, it's a combination, like we said, continuum of care. It's not one specialist that you're going to be able to see, one teacher that you're going to be able to see that's going to fix it. And so we somehow need to be able to have, um, you know, up and coming musicians have access to all of these modalities so that they can, you know, absorb, <laughs> you know, the, the best of everything um, to help them. And, and even if it is just, if something happens to me, I know that that's what this person does. That's a start, you know? So that's, that's my biggest soapbox right now. It's just like, we, sh this should be just like we say music theory and music history should be required part of music curriculum. So should anatomy for musicians. So should, you know, um, injury prevention or, or basic wellness care, you know, for Absolutely. musicians be a required. You know, um, I really think like we've, ta we've talked about this a little bit, like with, with college courses and things, um, you know, structuring it more towards maybe taking out some of the stuff that might have been helpful at some point, but Let's be honest. Do you really need eight semesters of theory in your undergrad? Can you get away with four? Can you get, I, yeah. can you, you know, stuff like that? Yeah. What are, where's the music business? Where's the health and wellness? Where's the entrepreneurial studies? Where's the, you know, stuff that sets you up for reality? And, so, and just thinking about what you were saying, you know, I've got so many, so many thoughts there, but the, that's what you're saying about that continuum of care is I've been saying it in different ways, same thing, but you know, musicians wellness is a team approach. If you think yeah. about these, the, the sports athletes we were talking about, watch a soccer game. Yeah. Somebody goes down every single game. Somebody goes down and the athletic trainers there. Yeah, yeah. And they're all the, the athletic trainers there and they cart them off the field and they're seen by X, Y, and Z. And they got yeah. a whole continuum of care, right? You have a whole entourage of medical professionals ready to take care of them. And, and, and what do we have? Need? Why not us? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, there's absolutely no reason we can't have the same thing, yep. you know? And, and thinking about going back to the whole terminology thing, like when I was studying for my CPT, I felt so, especially the CES, my gosh, it was the hardest thing besides my master's comps that I had ever had to do. Oh, yeah. It was so intense. <laughs> comps are no, no log in the park. So <laughs> no, no, they're not. And, but I mean, they, they, it doesn't have to be that intense, right? No. I mean, yeah. there's certain parts of the anatomy that everybody can learn. You can learn what a deltoid is. Absolutely. You can learn what the pectoralis major minor is. You can learn yeah. the transverse abdominis. I mean, you don't have to yeah. get into every one of the finger flexum digitorum oh, yeah. extensor. You, you know, you have to get into I every just, single one of those. Even in my, even in my project, even in my, my paper, I would say like um, the Palmer uh, finger, finger extensors are like, like I, I right, would not right. name them all individually because there's, yeah. But, just, but absolutely. Yeah. And, and I would say like, oh, like this muscle or this joint is like, this is like this here, the SC, uh, the SC joint is like, mm -hmm. is the only bony attachment of your arm upper extremity to your trunk. And, you know, that's a really fun one to, to demonstrate with people. Like you put your, I love that like, one. Yeah. Um, but like calling it the SC or like, then say like the sternocleidomastoid, like it's called this because, you know, it, it connects the sternum, um, the, the clavicle and the mastoid process. And you don't need to remember that 
Just say SEM for short. If SEM, but even that, you don't necessarily need to remember. It's just say that like this muscle is connected here and it does this to your neck. You know, even if you just remember what it does and where it is, because what I said, what I love to say to people too, is like, um, you don't necessarily need it. I'm throwing a lot of terminology at you, not because I think it's important for you to remember it, but so that if you do find yourself in a situation where you could talk to somebody, at least you have heard it before and you kind of understand Mm -hmm. the context. So it's less about like remembering exactly what this is called and more about remembering that like this is involved with this. The exact name of it doesn't matter as much. But at the same time, like I love to demystify. I had one of my my kinetic anatomy teacher was amazing. And she, the way she would structure her tests, I think is fantastic. And I wish more people would do this kind of approach to learning and assessment. Um, She taught us, you know, talked a lot about the way that the system of naming for a lot of parts of the mm. body, especially muscles. And she said, I don't want you to memorize the names of muscles. I don't want you to make flashcards. I don't want you to do that kind of stuff. What I want you to do is understand how to look at something where the insertion point is, where the origin point is. And if you look at a picture of a muscle, can you tell what it would do <laughs> if mm-hmm. it contracted? And if you can do that, you can probably give it a name. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's so true that when you look at those things and you understand that, so again, demystifying just like, it, it just goes to show you that like the actual terminology, like what it's named, it doesn't really matter that much. And you'll find that it's often named for what it does. It's pretty literal. And so as long as you can understand and see what it does. And for me learning and any part of why I loved it so much was like, Oh, I see that like it's something I can witness, I can observe, I can demonstrate, I can, you know, it's, it's, it's not beyond me mm-hmm. at all. And, and in fact, you find, you know, you can really see that it is as pretty accessible because again, it's part of the observable part of your life. It's you, you, you do, you use these muscles and these joints and these actions every day. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm all for that as well. <laughs> so I'm excited about that NFA presentation because I think that that's really cool because I would love for more teachers to start talking, not be afraid to talk about this stuff yeah. in lessons because they're worried about getting terminology wrong. Yes. And, you know, you know that's, that's kind of why I wrote my book the way I did yeah. just to, because I was trying to make it more approachable and simplistic and not crazy terminology because let's be real, you're not going to remember it, you know? Yeah. And so I would say things like, and I, what's funny is, like what you've said, pe- people don't want to say the wrong thing, so they don't say anything at all. Well, that can be almost more hurtful than saying, um, you know, it, it's, call it by the wrong name, but say what it does, say how yeah. it works. Yeah. That's that's what's more important. Mm-hmm. You know, like I forgot that this is called a bicep, but I can tell you it curls my arm. Right. That's, the, that's this, this muscle here. This yeah. This muscle yeah. here does this. And that, right. that's all you need. It, yeah. Right. Because for um, this number to go down, we have to stop doing so much research that proves the musicians are injured. We know what are we doing about it? Yeah. And I think this Why? is what you're bringing up. How do we fix it? Yeah, exactly. Right. What you're bringing up is, yeah. a, is a really valid point. And we've had several people actually mention that as well. And I know yeah. you and I have talked about um, creating a creating a course, actually. Yeah. So I, I would think, think that would be that would be so much fun. Honestly. Yeah. So um, let's Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. All I was going to say is, is that like speaking of like accessible language and the way like your book is written versus, cause I, I definitely, I, uh, I, I cited Angela's book (laughs) in my dissertation. (laughs) Um, that was uh, a cool text I got from you. (laughs) Yeah. Because what my, my project is about is, is basically needs analysis. What I talked about is like, okay, what do we need to be able to do, um, physically to do this particular activity optimally? 
-hmm. Okay. And then now that we understand that, like what it goes into this activity, um, how do we assess if someone is up to par for it, if they are, you know, ready to perform optimally. And if they're not, then you use those assessments to build a training program to improve those areas of deficit. And so that's essentially how my, my project is laid out. There's an needs assessment that just analyzes everything to do from bioenergetics to biomechanics and common injuries and things like that with the flute. Then it goes into a battery of assessments. And that was something that I hadn't seen in the research that I'd done was assessments like that. Um, there's, you know, whether it's musicians focused or not, like there's, there's plenty of information about like exercises and what they target and stuff. What yours book does, that's really nice is it, 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 it you know, it goes like as a musician, here are some things that are really good for you. Um, and that's really, I didn't find too many books that, that talked about exercises the way that yours did either. Um, they would talk about, you should exercise <laughs> and you should stretch, but you break it down a little bit more specifically than that, which is really great. Um, but what I had seen, not seen so much is this, how do we tell what kinds of things where, where I need work? And so that's, okay. that's the sort of niche that I tried to fill with these assessments. Um, but you know, my, mine had to be kind of kind of heady language just because it was an academic paper, but I, you know, if I were to present this or publish this somewhere, I would definitely dumb it down, not dumb it down, but you know, I would make the language a lot more accessible um, <laughs> because it does, it gets intimidating. Even my, my flute teacher was like reading the bioenergetic section. She's like, I'm going to leave that to your APK committee person on that because I'm just going to trust that if he says it's good, it's good. Cause you know, I had to talk about the Krebs cycle and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, you wow. know, and it's like, it doesn't seem like, and at the same time I had to make it a case where it's like, it doesn't seem like that's relevant to musicians and day to day. No, it's not like, we're not going to be talking about the way the body, the body catalyzes energy and, and everything. But it was all to say, like, if you understand that different activities get energy from different systems or different processes in the body, that is why I'm choosing the exercises that I'm choosing, because it's the same concept of like, I'm not going to train a marathon runner, like a power lifter. They no. need different, you know, they need different types of training and it's the same thing for a musician. So it's mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to train you <laughs> like a marathon runner or a baseball right. player or right. a, a power lifter. Like I'm going to train you like a musician. And that is based on this understanding of the way that we, you know, your body achieves this activity. So that's, but anyway, she was like, that's over my head. But <laughs> anyway, um, when I was doing this research, like there are several really great resources out there. Like there are some really great books talking about injury prevention and, and like Janet, Janet Horvath has one, um, yep. uh, playing less hurt, playing less hurt. And there was, um, you, you said this too, and I'm, I'm totally blanking on it. That fit is a fiddle or something uh, like that. I've got it right here. Fit is a fiddle. Yep. Well, in Dawson, uh, there was another one yep. kind of like that. One. Yeah, there was another one that had some, some similar kind of title. Um, they're really great resources. They have a lot of really good information. But again, they were sort of missing some of these key points for me of like, so for me, what I would love to see more of too is the kind of stuff that you're doing is like, this is like tangible something that you can do <laughs> that can help mm -hmm. and, and like how to figure out which aspect of this or what plan or, you know, would be best for you, but also not just saying, because for me, like I'm the kind of person, and I think a lot of people really are deep down that like, if you tell me do this, okay, great. But if I understand why I'm doing it, I'm much more likely to, 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 um, commit to it or, or do it more consistently and do it more correctly. And so for me, it's also about finding books that straddle or finding resources or, or, or lecture series or presentations and stuff that straddle that line between giving you a good understanding, like 
of anatomy and this kind of science aspect without it feeling like it's over your head so that you really understand like i'm not just telling you to do this but i'm telling you to do this because this is how this works and this is how this makes a difference right yeah. so like another thing that i would love to it was supposed to be in my project but it just again scope i had to cut it was talking about like and the ces you know text and and everything talks about the benefit of stretching mm -hmm. but also the like the biomechanics of it and the physiology of what's happening when you are mm -hmm. stretching and obviously you can very very easily make that really really intimidating sounding but you know, understanding why certain types of stretching might be better in different, you know, situations or might serve somebody better mm -hmm. for different activities, you know, PNF versus dynamic stretching versus, right. you know, that kind of thing. Um, what the benefit of all of those things do and what actually you are trying to achieve with that and, and what, you know, physiologically, neurologically happens is really interesting. And also to me changes the way I think about how I stretch, because a lot of people like, you know, I know you and I have had this conversation, I'm stretching my neck. It's like, well, how about, you know, reach with your other hand? Do you feel that more? Right. Or mm -hmm. how about, okay, you're stretching one side of your neck. <laughs> if yep. you understand that there's different orientations, right. And that you got to, that all of that, you know, goes into place. So just just one thing one aspect of of fitness or anything you know stretching scientifically why do we say you should do this <laughs> in a way that you can understand that's the kind of thing that i feel is lacking in the discussion uh, in the current literature and resources of um music wellness and and injury prevention you know um so yeah it's it's hard <laughs> yeah I, why, what, that's another pet peeve I've got is that we mean well, but when something hurts, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to just stretch it. Stop right. telling people to just stretch, stretch what you, right. you don't know if yeah. it's tight or if it's weak or if it's tight and weak, maybe it doesn't need to be stretched. What I find yeah. is most of the time that when somebody, um, tell me if you've seen this as well, but most of the time when somebody has something that hurts and we're talking from a, from a muscle imbalance, like yeah. a, an overuse yeah. type thing, yeah. not like an acute injury here, Yeah. but they've got something that hurts like behind the shoulder blade, a lot of pain there. If you stretch it, it's not going to help. If you oh. mash on it with a lacrosse ball, it's going to feel good, but it's not going to get any better. That's because yeah. it's weak, weak. It's yeah. tight <laughs> and stretched and weak. Now pull your shoulder blades together. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah. It stops hurting, right? Yeah. It's not hurting. Guess what's yeah. the problem? The problem's on the opposite side. It's your probably your chest or your SCM yeah. or whatever's not yeah. hurting that is causing it to be that's tight. You need to stretch what doesn't hurt, but you can't say that all the time. It's, I mean, it's kind of individualized, oh, yeah. but it, it is, but, but I do find that that is, that is like a, that is definitely a trend and a misunderstanding. And that's sort of what I talk about with the idea of like muscles can only pull. Like it's such a, a, mm. a, a seems like such an obvious or kind of foundational thing, but it's not. And um, not. it really makes a huge difference in the way that you think about it. And like, I, I will not name this person, but somebody that I teach with and play with in orchestras, um, nobody, you know, but um, uh, I, we have students that will sometimes play in the orchestra with us because our, the Bach festival orchestra is one of the innate orchestras that I play with is, is very, um, has a long association with Rollins. And so we play um, at the chapel there. And one of the great things about it is that we can have, it's kind of almost can be a training orchestra. Sometimes we have students who can fill in, especially strings. They can sit in some of the last stands and stuff and get to play some really great rep. 
and have nice. that experience. Um, but the teacher <laughs> was there and they were complaining. I think we were playing the creation, um, hide and creation. And, um, the students were, uh, saying how, like, I overheard them talking about how sore they were from having to sit for these very slow, you know, and they're saying that like their back really hurt. And I came over and I said, Oh, you know, I can help it overhearing, but you need to, it says it's because you're being pulled for, you know, I was trying to say this, the teacher came over and said, yeah, we don't need that stuff. We need to, you know, we, we, we need um, to stretch. And I, and she told me, use those stretches that we talked about in pedagogy class, like stretch this. And I was like, no, don't do She did the one where you pull your arm. And for those who can't see, she pulled her arm in front of her face. Please stop doing that. Yep. Stop. And I waited till she went and I went, I turned you over them and I said, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> And I told the students and I feel like, sorry, I just bumped my camera. Um, I, I, I told the students that, okay, look, you have to basically understand to explain that concept of like for every joint motion, you have like opposing muscles that will opposing. do, you know, eat, you know, and they work in tandem to create the movement that you want. Like one will only move you in one direction. It can either pull or resist force, but they cannot push it. And so what's happening is you're spending time, you know, all your time with your, your, you know, out in front of you. And so your, your chest is compressed and your back is stretched and that's, what's causing the problem. I said, so it might seem contradictory and, you know, your, your inclination is this hurts. So let me, you know, but it's not going to do anything. It might feel good. Like you said, feel good for a second, but you notice that it doesn't go away. And they said, yeah. And I said, so try, you know, I gave them like just some, like some body weight tease kind of thing to do. And like some stretches with the doorway peck thing. And I was like, you know, I was like, just real quick, you know, just <laughs> like, just trust me. <laughs> Like, don't do what she just told you. You're not going to feel better. And they listened. And I was, I was glad that they did very, but, but that's exactly the kind of thing. And it's unfortunate because I know that this teacher doesn't mean anything ill toward them by it. Like they're, they're, they, they have no ill intention, but like they've, you know, been teaching for decades and teaching this and, and that's part of the issue. Yeah. 100%. So, I think you're absolutely right that there's, there's gotta be some kind of and not just one way. I mean, there's not one modality. There's not one method. There's not one course, one book, one, one thing that is going to solve this. Um, I know the course that I, not to toot my own horn here, but the, the course that I created, the job security course, which I got to yeah. come up with a better name. It actually does all those things that you said. It yeah. provides the assessments, which I really want to look at your assessments too. Yeah, it absolutely. provides the assessments. It talks about how the muscles work together. These, are, This is the anatomy you need to know. This is how you increase your body awareness. This is how you create your own program. You know, And this is how yeah. you teach others. And this yeah. is how you assess others. And this is how you help others while still not having to have you know, you don't have to have any kind of specialized knowledge. We're just learning about the body. Yeah. And I really want to, yeah, I want to turn that into either a, a, a certification, like get my own Moodistic strong certification yeah, or tweak it to make it a, a college course, yeah. you know, or, or, a, or just a teaching course, because yeah. I can't, it's the same thing you're saying. It's just the, the teachers are not equipped to deal with this and there's no reason they can't be. It doesn't have to be so far over your head that you have to yeah. deal intimidated. I mean, the very first day I went to Barbara Conival's class, uh, what every musician needs to know about the body. She came to Murfreesboro and did a two day workshop. And I remember leaving, um, there was a, a, a colleague went with me from, from tech and we left that first day. Our eyes were like as big as our face. Like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. (gasps) We were just so overwhelmed with the anatomy and we had no idea how the body worked. It was just 
fascinating, mm-hmm. awe-inspiring, and completely overwhelming at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but that's that's kind of it, it, it was it was approachable, but it was a little much at the same time. But it's mm-hmm. like you can still teach people that. That's Absolutely. Valuable knowledge. And I was in college. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a quote professional yet. I wasn't teaching, yeah. you know, a million kids. You can teach that to anybody. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's really, I mean, it's been really eye opening to me too. Like, as people knew that this is what I was studying, what I was researching and everything like that, that students from, it didn't matter. Like I had students who were woodwind players, but also vocalists and stuff that would come to me in the hallway. They go, Oh, can I ask you a question? I've been having this, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's just there, people want this information. Um, but yeah, but, but don't know where to get it and, and don't know where to get it reliably. And, um, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, oh my gosh, we need to talk for sure about assessments. I, I, uh, most of mine come from like the, uh, the CES, Mm. um, method and also, um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it. Um, the FMS, FMS and FCS, the functional movement screen and functional Oh, that's brilliant screen. stuff. Yeah. Gray Cook. Yeah. Yep. Brilliant stuff. Yes. Yeah. And my professor was is friends with them. So he in our in our corrective exercise and our strength and conditioning classes, he taught about the FMS and FCS. And we actually did a lot of it. Um, so that's part of why it, it made it into my dissertation, because it's good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's where a lot of my, you know, um, assessments come from. A lot of it is, is not because again, is talking to the popular, you know, targeting the population that you're interested in working with, like musicians. And of course, mine specifically focused on flutists. We don't need a lot of strength. (laughs) You know, we don't, I mean, we do, but we don't need strength assessments. Like we don't need to be doing someone's one RM, you know? No. And, and so a lot of my, a lot of the assessments focus more on quality of movement and range Mm -hmm. of motion and things like that. And, um, there was absolutely some strength components in there, but it was more about like whole body synergistic strength, you know, like, um, I did, uh, like a plank kind of thing in there just, 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 you know, you can kind of watch how the kinetic chain works together kind of thing. And, and, and you see periods of weakness, but but again, it's all, they're all were sort of meant to build upon each other, but like, you know, um, range of motion here, restriction here, you might be able to see when you do something like a plank or an overhead squat or whatever, and talking about, you know, the connection there. Cause I, you know, I worked with you a couple summers ago. That's right. And you did a movement assessment with me and you had me do the overhead squat and everything. And then we learned about it in my classes. And I remember like the first time we learned it, cause I had a whole class that was just assessment and exercise science. Oh, fun. And it was pretty, it was a lot of information I will never need because it was like, we went into like cardio and all kinds oh, of gosh, other stuff, yeah. but yeah. But the, um, uh, it was, it was also really fascinating, but, um, uh, I was very much like, how, like, why is this overhead squat? Like, you know, such a, such a thing. And now I'm like, oh (laughs) yeah, you can see a lot. You can see so much. So much. Yeah. It designed, it's so for anybody who doesn't know, it's, it's really designed to put the body in an awkward position that really brings out your deficiencies and your weaknesses to the eye very quickly without having to fatigue you too much. Yeah. And it's a, just amazing to be able to see it. I know it's ridiculous. And then it did is. you do the one leg squat too? Yeah. We talked about, yeah, we have to talk, we, we need to talk about all that, the, yeah, the single leg and the, um, you know, hands on hips versus, you know, that, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing as well, the, all the variations of it and, and why you would use those. And, um, um, I didn't put the one leg, the single leg in my, my paper. Cause I don't, it's, uh, you know, it, it, what that would show 
wasn't necessarily relevant to flute as we felt, but, um, but, but, uh, but that interestingly that you, that's really great that you put it that way too, because that's, that's part of what was, was appealing to me about like the FMS, because that's exactly what those are designed to do as well. Put you mm-hmm. in a, in a somewhat extreme position that makes it impossible not to see compensations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and therefore, you know, tell if you have good quality of movement. And, and that's what I love about the corrective exercise stuff, because that's the next thing I'm going after is the CES. Um, and, uh, because uh, I had a whole that what I love about UF too is, and I guess they're one of the only schools that actually offer this right now is they actually have a course in corrective exercise. No um, way, it's just a single class, and it's taught by my professor that I you know worked with me on my my dissertation and stuff. But yeah, it's a it's an actual, and it's you can do their online masters and uh, master science in APK and and take this class, and it, it is meant to, meant to prepare you to take the tests. Like it it's it's it goes through the entire um, the uh, NASM CES. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh and man, that would have been really nice when I was studying for it. Jeez, yeah. it was yeah. hard. <laughs> and they, and, so they, hard. and we, we use their textbook for it too. So, I mean, it is directly from the NASM. But anyway, so that's, though. it is so fascinating, but, and it's, and to me, everything that I have learned, like it's the best, it's one of the best applications of exercise science and fitness, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, concepts for musicians. For musicians. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, it, and it's like kind of like PT light, <laughs> like you get it, a lot it of kind like, of is yeah, like yeah. you get a lot of the same kind of just like you know joint mechanics and 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 you know muscle balancing and things like that to that that you would be working with a PT for. Um, uh, obviously, we're not nearly as as experienced maybe as a PT is, but you know, my sister just graduated with her DPT, um, and we were talking about a lot of the things that. Uh, you know, we were learning and stuff. And she's like, you're learning the same stuff I am. Like maybe yeah. they spend more time with it or go into certain depth in different areas and have to know more things in certain areas. But like at the core, <laughs> it's the same concepts. Um, yeah. I say that like disclaimer, I am not a doctor, <laughs> not that no. kind of doctor. <laughs> but, but it's like, good to know, right? Yeah. Because people yeah. think, I, I mean, I've heard this a lot. Well, you just need to see a physical therapist. Physical therapists are amazing, but they're not yeah. always the answer and they're not the end all be all. No. And I mean, if you got this whole subset of, like you said, it's kind of like PT light, you know, you get the, the, you get the strength coaches and the, the, the personal trainers and the athletic trainers and all these people who deal with strength on a more macro level than a PT who does with micro, but CES kind of does that. It bridges that mm-hmm. gap is what I tell people. It's, it's a yeah. lot of crossover. I mean, I get a lot of clients who come in and go, Oh, I did that in PT. I'm like, yeah, let's progress it. Right. Let's make well, it harder, and right? Exactly. What you just said, the progression part of it is again, going mm-hmm. back to the continuum of care idea is where the scope of practices, like where a PT ends is they're usually dealing with rehab, right. And, and getting you to a point where you are ready to go back, return to play. Um, and of mm-hmm. course that's a term usually meaning return to play in sports, but we can also use the exact same yeah, term meaning something return to play your instrument or singing, whatever you're doing. Um, and it, it is exactly that, but like, that's sort of where PT's typical scope of practice right. ends, like where their treatment ends is, is when you're ready for return to play. And so that's where a good coach fitness, you know, strength coach, fitness trainer comes into play is like, all right, let's continue this. Absolutely. And get you back to where you were when you're injured. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. when you that's that's another misconception I find about PT is yeah, PT is fantastic and a great PT is worth their weight in gold. Absolutely. Um, but again, they, as long as they kind of know what they're doing, and like like I was sort of started to say, it was like I would have been into three rounds of PT for the same thing. 
and every approach was a little different. Like the first mm -hmm. one was very much pain management. The next time we started doing a little bit more of sort of the targeted strengthening. The third time was like basically going to a, uh, like a, a workout session. Like it was just all about, you know, I had, uh, they told me it was scapular dyskinesis. And so they were working on just getting my, those muscles to fire better mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. in, in coordination and stuff like that. And it really made a difference, but it was amazing that that trajectory to get to that point. And then now, like, if I stop doing what they had me do, like, I'm, it's we're barred back where we were, right? You know, because it's a strengthening situation. And so that's where, like, a fitness coach would come in. That's their scope of practice is to get you back to optimal. Because, mm -hmm. you know, thinking that PT, you're going to go through PT and, like, you get hurt. <laughs> and then you're going to, by the end of PT, be right back where you were. Doesn't work that way. You know, they're getting you to manage the pain and to um, be able to function <laughs> again. They're not necessarily guaranteeing that you're going to be in the same shape, you know, at or you could, point. it could be getting you back to where you were pain with, without the pain, but you yeah. still have a level of dysfunction that you had before. Exactly. Possibly. Exactly. Like they, right. That it doesn't mean that you just because you're pain free, doesn't mean you fixed the, the thing that was causing the pain. Bingo. So this whole yeah. subset of strength trainers, please don't overlook them because so yeah. many times you can, I, I, I feel like I preach this constantly, but it's, you can only stretch what's tight for so long. And if you don't stretch what, uh, sorry, if you don't strengthen what's weak, that cycle of dysfunction will just continue and continue. And it hasn't actually state. balanced itself out. It, it hasn't balanced yeah. it. Right. And so PT yeah. and strength training, they overlap a lot, but they, they work well, like you said, as a continuum. Yeah. And I love that you're, you're talking about all of that. Yeah. They also work really well synergistically, like at the same time. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And what I love to also say and point out about this, because I've like, again, a huge point about my, my project is, was to, to sort of look at music practice and music pedagogy and specifically apply music instruction like a fitness coach would. Mm -hmm. And so a applied teacher, if you think about it, a one-on-one, -on -one, a private teacher really functions a lot like a strength coach or a trainer does. We are, you are working one-on-one -on -one with somebody to build a plan of, of, for training um, to get this person to be performing optimally. It just happens to be in music, right? As opposed yep. to, but it's the same kind of idea. We're building a curriculum, building a training or practice program, a regimen, um, you know, a planning repertoire, which is the same kind of, you can liken that to planning the type of exercises that you're going to be doing and program and, and prescribing for somebody it's the same kind of concept. And so if you have an applied teacher who has a little bit more understanding of the physical aspect of it, and you can, again, build that in, it's not in addition to, it is part of, you know, music practice and pedagogy. Um, it, it works the same way. Then, then in a, an applied instructor, with it, that scope of practice is the same thing. They work with you up until injury, and then it's out of their scope of practice to to you know, if you need, if it's an injury that requires medical attention, obviously they're not qualified to treat you for that. Um, and so you work with an expert on that field. And when they have deemed you ready to return to play, guess who gets them back? <laughs> it's the applied instructor. So it's their job to take that person from um, recovery to back to optimal mm -hmm. and to do it safely without re-injury, ideally. Um, you know, that's, 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 that's ideal world, of course, because things don't always work that way. But, um, but, but the point is, is at least trying to prevent re-injury, you know, because I mean, like I said before, like, I know how to manage mine, but it does keep coming back. Like I've accepted, it's not just like, boom, it's going to be better. Like it's a journey. And so, um, I'm just, you know, it, it, 
some of it is just managing expectation as well like great understanding that like it, it doesn't just get better overnight but um but anyway the point being that like having a good teacher who sort of understands that process and where you are and that what their role is and how to periodize or plan your your practice such that you are ramping up again to uh, um where you want to be musically without hurting yourself is would be revolutionary to so many people it's i mean sometimes when i think about like what that means and like what that would look like it's not that complicated or crazy it's really not but it's amazing how many people go like yeah you know like and like that's amazing like that's that's mind-blowing and it's like it shouldn't be but yeah sure okay yeah i mean i'm glad that you agree with me so take it and run with it you know if only were that simple but what is um as we wrap up here what is uh what's on the on on deck for you next where are you headed now that you've got your dma well um i've been i'm kind of looking for a full time because at the moment i'm still adjunct in the area I, I do a lot of playing and freelancing here and i play with several orchestras and stuff so i keep i keep myself busy I play with disney too Yay. work Fun. with the mouse <laughs> um <laughs> I, I play for the holidays so i'm not there all the time but like during um we play the epcot candlelight processional and um Everybody got COVID this year, so that was fun. <laughs> um, I, um, but so, I, you know, I, I'm still playing and teaching in the, in the area until I find something more full-time. It's just unfortunate that um, the, where I am, smaller schools, I know you can identify with this as well. They don't really have um, full-time capacity mm-hmm. for me right now. So I'm eventually looking to, to get a full-time teaching position somewhere. Um, but in the meantime, continuing to just enjoy my private students here. I have a decent private studio and, and, and playing, um, and, and teaching. Um, but I'm also sort of ramping up my, uh, presenting, presenting on this topic. So I'm, I'm, I'll be, you and I will be at NFA talking about this kind of stuff. Um, I'm, it sounds like in December, I'm going to be back at UF talking, um, to some other students about, uh, I've been invited to come and talk, you know, the one day symposium that they're going to do. And they've invited some of their graduates to come and talk about things. And because I have some a rather unique perspective, considering the majority of students in that program, they said, you should come back and talk. Um, and uh, probably, you know, um, this isn't going to be till January of next year, but I will be uh, 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 probably submitting proposals to, to present at the Florida Flute Association. And, you know, yeah, um, I definitely want to, I need a little bit of a break because <laughs> dissertation was a, you know, a lot, but uh, eventually want to keep expanding that and, and maybe publish pieces of it and or some of those things that had to get cut. I want to be working on some articles and uh, uh, and presentations to, to talk about some of those things. So um, only a few things like definite on the calendar right now, but a lot in the works. <laughs> yeah, well, I would love for you to write an article for my blog if you would, if, yeah. if that interests you. So we can talk more about that later, but do you have anything on the uh, on the books about wanting to pursue anything with the physical aspect of this or like, how do you want to incorporate oh, that going on? Yeah. So, um, so interestingly, actually, because of this, the cognate as well. So a mass, the master science program, um, in APK and they have at UF is a 30 credit program, like most master's degrees. I did 22 credits in APK during my doctorate. So they were like, you should just finish the master science. So I'm looking into that. <laughs> to have that on my background. Um, but in terms of like what I want to do with this and why I'm pursuing the CSCS and stuff is I don't necessarily envision myself really, really primarily or, or, or taking clients as a coach per se and doing it as a trainer, but it's definitely always sort of meant to supplement my music 
teaching. So becoming, you know, an applied teacher that really talks a lot about the physical aspect that incorporates it in there. And of course, if there's somebody that needs it, having those certifications means that I can work with them that way. And I, I do have the, the, the credential to prescribe them some of those exercises and things and help them that way. But um, like, I know that you do, you know, you have your own business with Music Strong and you do a lot of training, personal training and stuff like that. That's not the, the area that I expect to go. So it's, it's more coordinating with people like you right. to help to again, build that network um, to continue to educate more um, on the academic side of things and be a point of contact for people who need that care and being able to connect them with others who, who do that in a more hands-on way. All the time. Very awesome. Very awesome. Yeah. Well, where can people find you if uh, they have questions or they want to reach out? If you're yeah, okay I'm on, with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm on Facebook. Um, I can also give you my email and you can either, I don't know, post somewhere or whatever. And, and any of that's always fine. Um, I teach at Rollins College, so you can also find my information if you search the faculty at Rollins College. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's I'm, I'm I'm those are the main ways. I'm I have a website as well, and there's a contact form there that you can. Uh, so it's uh, katiemessflute.com. Um, there's nothing about my uh, fitness side of things on there right now, but it is a way you contact me. <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you so much for for yeah. being on our podcast today. We really enjoyed. Uh, I say we, but I, I know if Jen was here, she would really enjoy yeah. this conversation. <laughs> sure. It's my pleasure. It's always, always a great time to talk about this stuff. I, I, I tend to talk people's ear off if I get started. So it's, it's, it's nice to have people who understand and be able to really, really get into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you for being with us and thank you for listening. And please don't forget to like, share, and please subscribe. And if you liked this episode, leave us a review. It will help us get in front of more musicians. So until next time, bye-bye. Hey musicians, did you know that up to 90% of musicians will experience playing related pain or injury over the course of their career? How many hushed conversations have you heard about a lingering quote, shoulder pain or a weird tingling in your fingers or maybe low back pain or a crampy weakness or maybe you or your colleague just says, I just have to get through the gig and you watch them pop Advil like candy, maybe flush it down with whiskey. How many times have we seen something like this? So many, right? Well, it's time we start talking about our struggles, our pain, our frustrations in a private space where we don't just complain and mobilize and blindly stretch, but we learn how to strengthen our muscles, our career successes, and build each other up. I've got a brand new program that combines all of these things, and I want you to be a part of it. It's a community not a workout. It's a community with group coaching and great content that in 12 weeks will have you understanding more about your body, what you need, and how you work so you can avoid that career-threatening injury. The three things that musicians don't want. We don't want to be injured. We don't want to have a lack of stamina. And we don't want to be clueless, aka when you hurt, who do you go see? Just a quote doctor? Well, this program addresses all of those things. You're going to walk away with an immense knowledge of who to see. You're going to be empowered because you're going to know what to do should you ever get injured or should you have a colleague that gets injured. You will be able to actually offer appropriate advice. You're also going to learn about the body and the anatomy as it relates to playing your instrument and your own anatomy. And then you're going to learn how to build not just your strength and endurance, but you're going to learn how to design your own corrective exercise program. So I hope you will join me in this new program. It's called the Music Strong Pilot Program, Job Security for Musicians.